Do remain standing and turn in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. I'll be reading all of Ruth chapter 2. Before I read Ruth chapter 2, let us go to God in prayer again. O Lord, in this text we see the ample provision that, that you offer. And Lord, one of the provisions that we require is the divine illumination, that we would see clearly what this text is saying and how we ought to apply it to our lives. So, Lord, that is why we are praying. In Jesus' name, amen. Ruth chapter 2, hear now the word of God. Now, Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man, who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is a young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime, Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her. And also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it for her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an ephah of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with, this, with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. 
So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning till the end of the barley and wheat harvest, and she lived with her mother-in-law. Thus far the reading of God's holy word, and may God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. One benefit of studying the book of Ruth in the evening as we are studying the book of Judges in the morning is that of contrast. Now, admittedly, the first chapter in the book of Ruth reads a lot like the book of Judges than the book of Ruth. But as we enter the second chapter of the book of Ruth, some of the contrasts of leadership become clear. And when we consider our lives, we do well from time to time to engage in sanctified speculation. What would home life be like if run better? What would church life be like if it were run better? How would society be if there were more godly leaders? And if we recall godly, Christ-like virtues, Christian excellency is applied to every area of our lives, we do well to ask, you know, if I were more like Jesus, how would I manage my house? How would I be as a church member? How would I be as an employee if I were more like Jesus? And one question that kept popping up in my head as I was studying this text is this. How would Boaz have contributed in the days of the judges if he had been one of the judges? And you know that Ruth takes place in the period of the judges. So how would he have judged if he had been the judge? Now, in our study thus far, we've looked at 11 of the 12 judges, and we've even seen, we've had two sermons on Samson so far. Surely we've seen their strengths. Surely we've also seen their weaknesses. We've seen how the Spirit has guided these men, and we see that these men are flawed men. They are imperfect individuals. They have made many sinful choices. And as I kept reading this text, as I kept thinking about this text, I would just say, oh, I wish Boaz would judge. I wish Boaz were in the time uh, judging that he was chosen by God, because then he would have straightened everyone out. And would Boaz have made the mistake that others made of having multiple wives? I don't think so. Would Boaz have taken a vow and then disregarded it, like Samson? Would Boaz have tested God, like Gideon? I don't think so. How would his godly character and his skillful leadership have been used by God to suppress Israel's sin and even to, to govern well a wayward people? Well, the sanctified speculation, of course, can only take us so far, and that is, and that is okay. Because Boaz, in God's plan of redemption, was never meant to be one of the twelve judges. But, like the judges, he was certainly meant by God to point to Jesus and here to Jesus' praiseworthy character and gracious conduct. For Boaz, this evening, we see an imperfect, partial, but nevertheless beautiful portrait of the Christ. So the main point this evening is that the Lord graciously provides for, protects, and pronounces blessings upon those who cling to him by faith. Now, we who know the story of the book of Ruth know that Boaz will redeem her, 
If you didn't know that, that's your spoiler alert, sorry, um, but I'm pretty sure we all knew that. But before Boaz redeems Ruth, we see the godly character of the kind of man that would redeem a person like Ruth. We see in verse 4, And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem, and he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. And you can see a man who loves his job. You can see a man who, who loves the people who work for him. Now, if he were an office manager, you can just see him going from office to office, person to person, asking how they're doing, cheerfully saying to them, good morning. We certainly wouldn't be surprised to see a big coffee mug on his desk that read, best boss. And surely he would not have purchased it himself. He blessed the reapers, his workers, and they blessed him. The heart is satisfied knowing that your manager has your interests at heart and not strictly the bottom line. This man cared for his workers. He knew that they would work hard for them, for him, and, and they knew that he would work hard for them to make good on his promise to provide for them with the barley harvest. Here is a master who, as Matthew Henry says, thinks with tenderness of those that toil for them and bear the burden and heat of the day. He cares for these workers. He loves them, and, and they love him. And his joy in providing extends even beyond those under his charge. We see in verses 2 and 3, And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. So Ruth joins a group of gleaners, of people who have been allowed the leftovers. Now, there is biblical precedence for this conduct, for this provision. In Deuteronomy 24, verse 19, we read, When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, you shall not go back to get it. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow, that your Lord, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. And surely in Israel, there were the sojourner, the fatherless, and the widow. Here we have Ruth and Naomi as widows. So the, the gleaning was for exactly people like Ruth and Naomi. And we see other women in the text as well who are gleaning for their families. And this gleaning isn't always much. In fact, it rarely is. But it is at least making ends meet. Back in Arizona, we would regularly see some Mexican day laborers, men and their adult or older sons who are just looking for some work for that day so they can provide for their family. Just anything. Eight, ten hours a day, whatever. Just to, to provide for their families. And we know from personal experience that some of these men worked a lot harder than your average Joseph. And they did that for a lot less money as well. The compassionate heart sees the man's willingness to work for something. Boaz, the law-abiding field manager, wants to provide for all that he can. Boaz seems to care not only about the letter of the law, but the spirit as well. He seems very generous in this text, very giving. And Boaz makes sure that Ruth come to him for mealtime. And we see that he gives her freely. He offers her some bread. He allows her to have some wine he gives her some roasted grain until she ate, until she was satisfied, and until she even had leftovers. 
He puts to shame your Italian mother who fills her Tupperware with her home-cooked meal to send you on your way both full and sure not to be hungry again. This man is a man of abundance. He gives freely and abundantly to Ruth. Do you see, dear ones, how this man of blessing, Boaz, points us to the man of blessing? Boaz was a man of wealth, that is sure. But Jesus is the man in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. This is the God-man who has blessed his people from his boundless heavenly riches. Surely then, our minds, when we read these these verses, recall Jesus' feeding of the 5,000. Our Lord provides food for the hungry people. It didn't matter who they were. At times, he would feed the house of Israel. At times, he would feed the town of the Gentiles. Whether you're an Israelite or a Gentile, if you were hungry and you were there and you wanted food, the Lord provided. And in abundance, when he provides for them, they didn't make ends meet. He gave them liberally until all ate, until all were satisfied. And then there were leftovers. Sometimes seven baskets full, other times 12 baskets. The Lord gives generously. He gives abundantly. He provides for more than we can ever ask or imagine. And you see also how Boaz's invitation to eat bread and drink wine even subtly points to the Lord and the Lord's Supper. How the Lord invites us to commune with him. The Lord offers his own life, his own bread. How he offers his own blood to drink. Here is the man of blessing who desires to commune with his people. Here is the greater Boaz, Jesus the Christ, who is joyfully giving his bread and his wine to the church. Charles Spurgeon once wrote, When a poor soul comes to God, he thinks that he is flying to him only for a refuge. But indeed, he is coming for much more. He is coming for a heritage undefiled and that fades not away. Too often, perhaps all the time, we come to God thinking that we're going to receive just even a little bit of his grace, just a little bit of his mercy. Just a little bit will do. But the Lord doesn't give us just a little bit. He doesn't give us just one blessing from heavenly places. He gives us all blessings from heavenly places. He doesn't give us just a spot of grace. He gives us the whole plate. He gives us grace upon grace upon grace. He gives us mercies that are new every morning. We have all of what God offers. The Lord provides abundantly. We see in this text that Boaz provides, but he also ensures the protection for the vulnerable. At several points in this text, the the women, we see that there is even a risk of them being assaulted, of being mistreated. And you'll notice that Boaz cared not only for Ruth, but he had shown care for the other women as well. In verse 8, affectionately, he calls Ruth my daughter, and he directs her to the other women. He says, stay next to these women. They are well provided for here. They, They will show you around. Likewise, Boaz takes ownership of the physical safety of these weaker vessels. He says to the man, do not rebuke her. Do not reproach her. And she needs to stay in his field, lest she be mistreated or assaulted. 
Again, Boaz reveals partly the character of the Christ who calls that, that faithful woman, my daughter, who says to his disciples, do not hinder the children from coming to me. Read any gospel. Read especially the gospel of Luke. And take notice of all the times that the Christ cares for, that he includes, that he provides for, that he protects women. He healed Peter's mother-in-law. He raised a widow's son from the dead. He forgave the woman whose tears washed his feet. And on and on. It is no wonder that countless women devoted themselves to serve him. Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Susanna, and, and many others. And his heart for these women reveals his heart for the unworthy woman, his church. He protects us, his bride, from our sin. He protects us from our own enemies. He protects us from eternal hellfire. He protects us from the devil. And Boaz provided, Boaz protected, and even pronounced blessings upon his people. And here I recall to our minds Naomi's really odd benediction in chapter 1. You remember that? Through which Orpah and Ruth would be blessed, but only if they would return to Moab, return to the gods of Moab. It was an an odd benediction, an odd blessing. But Boaz's benediction upon his workers, upon his reapers, upon Ruth herself, come from a man who knows that true everlasting blessing is found in the Lord of barley harvest. Boaz blesses Israel. He blesses the Israelite men and women who worked for him. Boaz blessed foreigners. His kindness extended to this unknown Moabitess, this Ruth. Boaz blesses the dead and the living. Verse 20, this is Naomi speaking. May he be blessed by the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. And so when Ruth returns to Naomi, Naomi is shocked by the abundant grace that was shown to Ruth. She has in mind here Boaz's provision for her husband, or for her rather, whose husband and sons are dead. She has in mind here Boaz's provision for herself and for Ruth who are still alive, and they they need that provision. They need the blessing. And do you see then that there is a, a twinge of hope, isn't there, in Naomi's heart as she wonders the possibility of, of this man, who is one of her redeemers, the possibility of him ushering her into a newness of life, into a fullness of life. And yet again, Boaz holds up a flashing neon sign pointing to the great redeemer, the Christ. The Christ who opened his ministry pronouncing blessings upon Israel. Blessed are the poor in spirit, blessed are the meek, blessed are the peacemakers, and on and on. Christ who picked up covenant children into his arms and blessed them before God his Father. Christ who blessed Gentiles with both physical and spiritual healing, with the forgiveness of sins. Christ who blessed the dead Jew and the dead Gentile with newness of physical life by raising them from the dead. Christ who blessed both Jew and Gentile with newness of spiritual life. Christ, who now blesses us with every spiritual blessing from heavenly places. Christ, who through his ministers every Lord's Day blesses his people as they leave with a benediction. This is 
our Christ. This is the Redeemer who provides. This is the Redeemer who protects. This is the Redeemer who pronounces blessings upon his redeemed. And now earlier, we engaged in a bit of sanctifying speculation. I want to do that just a little bit again. And how would Israel have received Boaz's judgeship? I think we have a pretty good idea as to how Boaz would have judged, but how would Israel have welcomed, would Israel have welcomed Boaz's judgeship? And no answer, no certain answer anyways can be given. After all, there were godly judges, Othniel, Ehud, Gideon, Jephthah, Samson, but even a godly judge isn't always well-received. I recently watched a video of these two guys. It must have been in wintertime because there was snow all over the place. And they were um, blowing the, the snow off the, the walkway, off the, the sidewalk. And they were doing that in the neighborhood. They were doing that in part to help this older lady. And she comes out. And she starts yelling at them. Because apparently they are on her property, which they were not. They were on the sidewalk. And she calls the cops on these guys. And the cops come. And the, the guys are saying, we just... We're just helping her and others blowing this snow out of the way. Not everyone receives a gift well. And so Israel, even if Boaz had judged, Israel wouldn't necessarily have received that godly judgeship well. But Ruth, as a type of the Gentile church grafted into the household of faith, she shows the way how well to receive this godly leadership. Boaz did not owe these young women or Ruth, anything of his rich, bountiful harvest. All that was required of him by the law was not to um, allow someone to go back to the field if there was a missing sheaf or two. That's all he had, that's all he was required to do. But instead, he gives. He gives liberally, generously, freely. And so to receive this gift, Ruth has to go. She has to get up and go to the field that needs to be gleaned. And that's why she says to Naomi, let me go, and I will find favor. This is not to say that she presumed upon the grace, that she presumed upon the gift of Boaz, but she knew him to be a worthy man, a godly man, a man who cared for the people in his life. And when she does find favor, she doesn't say, well, of course I found favor. I mean, just just look at me. I'm a... A young foreigner, of course, people love foreigners. They look, they look different. I'm just a young woman in her prime. Just look at me. Of course I would find favor. Or, hey, look at my work. I'm working morning and evening except for a short rest. Of course Boaz is going to look upon me and find favor because how hardworking I am. She doesn't do that at all. She is amazed. She's amazed by this grace, by her soon redeemer. Verse 10, she says, She fell on her face, bowed to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me since I am a foreigner? Why me? Why have I found favor in your eyes? Matthew Henry says, Humility is one of the brightest ornaments of youth. Before Ruth's honor was this humility. Humbled by God's amazing grace, We ought to ask, why have I 
found favor. We sing, and can it be that I should gain? Is it really possible that I should gain an interest in my Savior's blood? Why would I find favor in God's sight? What is it about me that God would look upon me and then give grace to me? And that's the wrong question, isn't it? There's nothing about you. There's nothing good in you to even move the Savior to to look favorably upon you. It's all of God. It's all of His grace. It's all of His mercy, of all of His love, His compassion, His tenderness. It's all Him. Perhaps that's the question that many of us will ask when we meet our Savior. Why me? But I know how sinful I am. I know how, how wicked I can be. I know how unholy I am, how undeserving of this grace I am. Why me? And perhaps the Lord would say, because of me. And what do we do with this grace? We receive it. We don't say, why should I find favor and then I don't want it? It's, why should I find favor and let me have it? I do want this. I want this grace, this grace upon grace, these these mercies that are new every morning. Faith is receiving and resting upon Jesus Christ alone for the gift of salvation. And so we receive it. As Ruth received Boaz's provisions, we receive the provisions of the Christ, the grace of our Lord. And we see in verse 3, she doesn't just go, she acts. She gleans. With faith, she acted. With faith, she gleaned. With faith, she availed herself of the blessings of the barley harvest. Surely the Lord who brought the harvest about, who brought Ruth and Naomi to the harvest, will allow her to eat of this harvest. How much more, then, shall we trust Christ to give of himself richly and freely and lavishly? It isn't a presumption to act this way in faith. It is instead an expectation from God to live by faith. God has given us the means of his grace. It is never a sin then to access his love through these very means. That's why they're there. That's why God has given you his word. That's why God has given you the sacraments. That's why God has given you prayer to access communion with him, to access his love, not for the sake of the means, but for what the means bring you to, the triune God, the one who created you, the one who sustains you, the one who redeemed you. So it is never a sin to access his love through these means of grace, and it it ought always be a joy to do so. Perhaps it doesn't feel like a joy, but a chore to be in prayer. Perhaps it doesn't feel like a joy to read God's word. Perhaps it doesn't feel like a joy to have water sprinkled on our heads or to have a little piece of stale bread or a drink of wine or grape juice. Perhaps it doesn't feel like a joy 
But God has given us these means to bring us closer to himself. We need to change our perspective, don't we? We don't read the Bible just to get our daily quota for the day. I've read X number of words, X number of chapters. I've memorized whatever the text is. We don't pray because, well, we know that's our duty. Because God wants us to pray, so he's going to be mad at me if I don't pray. No, that's not, what God, that's not how God is approaching us. He's saying, pray to me because I'm your Father in heaven and I love you. Read my word because these are the words of eternal life for you. And take the sacraments because you're a weak person and you do well to take some weak sign to point to heavenly realities that are beyond our imagination. We do well then to act with faith, to avail ourselves of these means of grace. I want to point your attention to verses 7 and then 23. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. And then verse 23. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. So Ruth receives, she acts, she gleans, but she perseveres as well. She clings, she persists, she keeps on keeping on. By faith, she perseveres. She gleans and gleans and gleans. The one who clings to Naomi now gleans morning and evening except for a short rest. As she kept close to Naomi in chapter 1, verse 14, now she keeps close to the young women of Boaz because she knows that the Lord is providing for her along with this group of women. And as Boaz commanded Ruth always to remain in his field, let us, dear ones, always graze in the pasture of our good shepherd. And just never go to those other shepherds that are false shepherds. Let us always go to where God has spoken. Let us always avail ourselves of the means of grace that God has given and not come up with whatever we think we need, whatever idol we think would satisfy, but only and always what God has given us. Notice also, finally, that Ruth doesn't just receive, doesn't just act and persevere, but she is also giving. Verse 18, the second part of it, she also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. Ruth doesn't feed herself only, but she thinks of others, and she gives here to Naomi. This is the heart of the church that has been blessed by the tenderness of the Lord, the compassion of the Christ, and the grace of of our God. She who is forgiven much loves much. The church has been forgiven very much. And so the church should love much. The church should give much. What is a pastor but one beggar telling another beggar where to find bread? 
What is a Christian? But one unworthy sinner saved by grace, telling others where grace is to be found. Like the woman at the well, the church says to one another, add witnesses to the world, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. The church says, come, see the man who died for all that I ever did. This is the Christ. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we do thank you for your ample provision, your firm protection, and your gracious pronouncement of blessings upon us, unworthy sinners saved by your grace. Help us, Lord, to receive and rest upon this grace alone, upon Christ alone. Help us, Lord, to avail ourselves of the means of grace that you have given us and to persevere, especially in trials that are difficult, to cling to Christ and only to Christ. And also help us to give to others, to give the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ, our great Redeemer, that more would find the abundant provisions that are provided by the Good Shepherd. In his name we pray, amen.